Please open up your Bibles to page 125. So Leviticus 25, verses 1 to 10. Leviticus 25. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who lives among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amounts to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the Day of Atonement, sound the trumpet throughout the land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own return to your family property and to your own clan. And two Corinthians nine verse six to eleven on page one one six two. Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever." Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Good morning everyone, lovely to see you. You'll find an outline of today's sermon in your bulletin. Uh, that might be useful to you. You'll remember two weeks ago we began this series looking at the, the generosity of God and learning generosity ourselves by looking at the creating God. Uh, last week we dove deeply into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, this week we return to a study of God's character, the provident God. Hopefully that outline will be helpful to you. Uh, British explorers were odd and funny people. I don't know if you um, ever heard many stories of the kind of great 
feats of British exploration, um, but it seems to me that most British explorers were either really tough characters who succeeded against all the odds, or they were frail flowers who perished halfway down the Oxford Road. Their adventures always seem to me to be sort of poised on you know, a knife edge between complete success or utter disaster. And um, that knife edge, being British explorers, was usually somewhat silver-plated. For example, Birkenwills, who we think of as Aussies, but really, you know, the concept didn't exist. They were Englishmen travelling through the uh, centre of Australia. When they took off for the desert, they took with them uh, these supplies. Uh, 20 tonnes worth of stuff, including... It sounds reasonable, they're off for the desert, right? Including an oak-topped cedar dining table two accompanying chairs, and a Chinese gong. You have to wonder what the gong was for, but I suspect it has something to do with the table and may well be how they announced dinner service. Of course, by the time they got to the centre of Australia, the table seemed heavy, the gong seemed silly, and the expedition really was on a knife edge. And uh, all Australian kiddies will know that Burke and Wills died at Cooper's Creek with lovely knives, but nothing much to cut with them. The truth is that you would have died a lot earlier had they not been effectively traded with by the Yundrawanda people, um, but in the end they refused that trade and they died. Uh, like many English explorers, they starved with overabundant supplies and useless supplies, while all around them lay enough food, if only they knew. They remind me of me. Here I am, overly supplied and blind to provision. I think that could summarise our culture, frankly. Overly supplied and blind to God's natural provision. I think Burke and Wills prove what we all know, that you don't really need silver service to get by in life. You just need a naturally giving world under the hand of a generous God. We know that, but we, we don't know that, do we? We know, if you went to Sunday school, God is Jehovah Jireh. Does anyone remember the song? Please don't sing it now. I mean, keep your hand up, but just don't sing it. I didn't love that song. But know what it means? The Lord provides. The Lord is a provider. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Um, in learning generosity, therefore, it would be really remiss if we didn't understand what one of the sources of that generosity is, which is the abundant provision of God, that he really has us in his hand. He will look after us. So the simple question for the day is, does God really do that? Does God really provide for us? Can we trust God to be generous to us, or will we need to prove generous to ourselves? I notice that's the language I hear in Australia today, um, the language of you know working hard and striving and self-soothing and self-caring and securing and insuring and because I'm worth it, etc. And that really is the language of insecurity, isn't it? of depletion, of, of unless I kind of firm up my fences, my resources, my stocks, uh, I, will be, I will be just washed away. It's a very insecure language. But if I can trust God to be generous to me, then I might well forget myself much more and open wide my hands and scatter gifts upon the poor and give richly to the work of God in its many forms. So the question is this, really. Is the world like a desert? for which you must be massively provisioned? 
Or do you live under a God who is provident? Well, let's speak of God. First, let's pray. Uh, Father, um, this is really challenging for us. We're kind of wrestling with one of our um, real, the real gods of our heart. Jesus warned us, and it's true. We're, we're very fragile, and we know it. And so we're very attached to the stuff that makes us secure. But Lord, we want to be more attached to you. We want to trust you more. So show us yourself so that we might be more um, at peace in you. Amen. Well, we begin today in a pretty strange place, you might think, and that was Leviticus 25. I bet you've never turned there before, most of us. Uh, I certainly haven't for a long, long time. Uh, and Leviticus 25 opens with the provision of Sabbath. Now, I was asked this week by someone I read the Bible with, what's Sabbath mean? And I was really embarrassed. Between you and me, don't tell anyone. I didn't know. Does anyone know what Sabbath means? Oh, it turns out it just means rest. If only I'd bluffed, I would have got it right and I wouldn't have looked like an idiot. Uh, it just means rest or to stop, to cease. That's what Sabbath was. On that day, God ceased from his work of creating. He Sabbathed. He Sabbathed from his creating. We know about that. We know about the seventh day of rest. But look at Leviticus 25. Verse 1, The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, This is page 125, by the way, and it'll be useful to you because it's a weird part of the Bible and you don't know it off by heart. Page 125. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow or prune. Now, I knew about the day of rest. I didn't know about the year of rest. Um, I'm, I'm an Australian, so I can cope with a day of rest. In fact, you know, if, if Israel was a bit like God in taking a day of rest, um, Australians have doubled that. We must be double like God because we love a weekend and maybe triply because we love a long weekend, right? So we get this rest thing. Oh, but my. Tell us, tell us to actually take a weekend and we'll struggle. Tell us to take a year off and we'll go nuts. How would you ever do that? Are you mad? But apparently God provided not just a Sabbath day, but a Sabbath year. A Sabbath of Sabbaths, if you like. And God's provision meant that Israel could enjoy the blessing of rest. And more than that, actually, the holiness of rest. Yes, let me say that again, because we're Australians and we need to hear this. The holiness of rest. Um, we know that God holied rest in the Bible, because that's what he said about the Sabbath day. Now, holy, you've got to understand, doesn't mean pure. It means, um, I mean, it can mean that. It's an implication of it, but it's not, first of all, what it means. The word holy just means to take something and set it aside, to separate it out, to make it distinct so it will be seen to be the special thing for what it is. So what God did on the seventh day was said that, wow, those six days ran by fast and they were pretty awesome. Ah, but look at this day, which is pretty amazing because he made people the day before. <laughs> For the seventh day, ah, do you see this day? A holy this day. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Really challenging for me. I'm a worker by nature. Didn't think I was going to be, but then I grew up and became an adult, and I discovered it's in my bones. 
but there is a holiness to rest. Um, th- this is made very clear because the Sabbath is commanded, not just, it's not just that God rested, but he commanded Israel to do it. And there's a reason for they were to be like God. This is one way that Israel were imaging God. Remember, they're made, we're made to be the images of God. And when the people that God made did not live like him at all and they trashed his likeness and they lived, you know, they strove with each other and struggled with rest, God chose one man, Abraham, and through him a nation among all the kind of dull, tarnished reflections of God in the world to be more closely like his image. And so people were meant to look at Israel. This, by the way, is the point of Israel, if you've never worked this out. The point of Israel was for a couple of thousand years to be like a clearer picture of God in the earth. They were bearing his image. They were holy like he was holy. They would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the whole world would see the light of Yahweh. And this Sabbath was part of it. But not just a day for them, but in the land of Israel, a year for the land. Extraordinary. How did this work? Well, I'll tell you a story I heard this week. A member of our church was related to a bloke who was a um, serious businessman and a member of a group called the Turang Consortium. Does anyone remember that? Turang Consortium. Judy goes, oh. Painfully. I'll tell you why Judy had that reaction. Judy has a lot of reactions, so that was a good one. In 1991, this group of businessmen, you can correct me on the details, fact checker, a group of businessmen, including Kerry Packer, Malcolm Turnbull and Conrad Black, attempted to buy the Sydney Morning Herald, where Judy worked. They succeeded. And the whole of Fairfax. They succeeded. We're talking big business here, like capital B. Well, that's not what my research had. You know when I said fact checker? Just go along with me for a minute. (laughs) What did happen, uh, what did happen, uh, Judy remembers it because uh, there was a walkout by Herald journalists and I suspect you were one of them. Yep. Uh, Big business. And if the city's a jungle, these guys are carrying machetes. These are bad dudes. These are serious dudes, right? Um, What happened was, Judy remembers it because she walked out. Malcolm Turnbull remembers it because Kerry Packer threatened to kill him. And Kerry Packer remembers it because he got thrown out of the group. That's what happened. Fact-checking. We're on the same page. Here's the thing. Around this table on a Friday afternoon, before a key element of the deal needed to be inked, one man, notes 5pm, gets up, makes an apology, goes home to rest. You can imagine Kerry Packer sharpening his machete at that point, can't you? And you can imagine everyone in the room thinking, what's wrong with that guy? Which, of course, is just nanoseconds before deep in their hearts, everyone in that room goes, what's right with that guy? The answer was, uh, this relative member of our church uh, was and is an observant Jew, and it was Shabbat. It was Sabbath. 5 p.m. Friday, sundown Friday, and he went home to rest. And uh, he was, as God intended him to be, different because he was imaging God. And as Broken as I think Israel and modern Judaism is as an image of God, it's not not entirely gone, and that's what he was spelling out. So we might cope with the idea of a rest, you know, every seven days, and even that would startle our world. Um, but how would you survive a year? But you sure look different, wouldn't you? Wow, there's a whistle. You'd sure look different, wouldn't you? And people would say, "What's wrong with that country?" Or What's right with that country? 
But their question was um, expected by God. If you look down verse 20 on page 125, uh, God said to Moses, You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't plant or harvest our crops? How are we going to do that? Who's going to provide? And God answers, I'll send you such a blessing in the sixth year, the land will yield enough for three years. For while you plant during the eighth year, you'll eat from the old crop and continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. If you take a year off, you'll just take a year off, you stuff up the next year too. <laughs> it's an amazing thing that was being asked of Israel. An amazing thing. Incredible act of faith. And, and met on the basis not of a kind of wish, but of the conviction and the promise of God that he would provide. Astonishing, isn't it? What an astonishing thing. The Sabbath rest, you see, the day, the year, and the jubilee, which we see here, was the indication that God would give. It was the promise that God is a provident God. One more little thing about the jubilee. Uh, people loved the jubilee because in jubilee, um, debt got cancelled, slaves got set free. And so people think, oh, cool, it's like the early social justice project. Uh, I've got to give you a slight quicker, faster summary of Jubilee, and it's on the screen. What happened is people went home to family and land. They didn't work their fields. They ate by kind of like foraging, if you like. All land was returned to its original owners to prevent a permanent poor landless class developing in Israel. All lending was without interest or profit, just a just exchange, and any Israelite bond servants were freed without price. By the way, foreign slaves were not freed. So before we jump on Jubilee as the ultimate social justice project, we might need to realise it wasn't. What it was was the ultimate Israel project. That is, God was maintaining the distinction of his people in the world. I know this is unpalatable, and you won't hear this from plenty of preachers who will jump on Jubilee because it really sounds like what we want to hear, but it makes a slightly different point. And the point is this, that Israel will be holy like I'm holy. Israel will not have a poor landless class. Israel will not gouge the eyes out of their neighbour with usurious interest. Israel will not be like that. Why? Because they're my image. And the Jubilee was like God pressing a massive national reset button every 50 years to kind of just wipe the tarnished uh, image of his clean and say, do you see nations? Do you see what I look like? What does this mean, all this Sabbath stuff? Of course, all the stuff we read in the Old Testament is not always true for us, even though we follow the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. What has God provided for us in him? Strangely, if you leap into the New Testament, you'll see there's no Sabbath command from Jesus' lips or in his apostles' teaching. There's no command to jubilee either, so we can't quickly just jump on jubilee and say, look, we should end with no interest too. And if you do, some of your incomes will really struggle. Or we should end all slavery, though that would be wonderful. Or we should give the fields a break, though some agriculturists have learnt the wisdom of that. These things are wise, they may well be true, but they're not commanded of us. This was someone else's command. Our command, well, it's not quite a command, it's an invitation. For what there is in Jesus is the constant reminder that God's people can still trust in God providing for them so that they can rest in him. For Jesus is the one who said, remember famously, finish the verse for me, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and laden, and I will give you Sabbath. His original hearers couldn't help but hear him say in that word, Sabbath. I am your Sabbath. I am your rest. Uh, if I need to make a point again, I'll remind you of the t- sermon that first Jesus first preached when he went to the synagogue in Nazareth. You remember, he got a scroll out of the lectern, opened it up as Isaiah 61. It said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to, uh, to give sight to the blind. I can't remember the rest. Can you remember? To set captives free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Do you know that was? That was Isaiah saying, such a great day is going to come, it will be like a mega jubilee. It'll be worth 50 trumpets. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll, put it back, sat down, and preached his sermon consisting of like seven or eight words. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. End of sermon. I am the jubilee. Here is the Lord's favour. You are free and at rest in me. God will look after you. You're his. We began with a question. We began with a question. And the question was, will God provide? I hope you see that Jesus in the whole New Testament is trying to draw on all the riches of the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, and that Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Jubilees, to say a very simple and loud yes. Yes. A better question hangs off the truth and the reminder and the confirmation that God will provide. A better question. Not the question, will God provide? But the question, can I afford, therefore, to be generous? Because that's really what's at stake in provision, isn't it? For Israel, the question was, can I afford not to sow? The question in the New Testament is, can I afford not to sow here, but actually to sow in someone else's land so they can get the harvest? (laughs) Extraordinary, right? Can I afford to be that generous? This really matters for us. I'll tell you why. Um, We as a church, I'll start with us and then I'll move outwards. And I don't start with us because we're most important, but because I want to get over that quickly. Um, Our church um, proclaims the gospel in our community in a variety of ways. It faces gradually rising costs. I did the budget this week and the costs have risen. And they haven't all been staffing, by the way, just a tiny increase in staffing over the last few years. But other costs have really grown. And our giving, our corporate generosity to the work of the gospel here, this is my bad, not yours, it's just a matter of communication, hasn't grown at the same rate. So I'll telling you now and I'll tell you again later. So that, that's an issue for us. But it's more than that, our church has friends in needy places. You know, we have friends who care for disabled orphans in East Asia. We have friends in stricken Zimbabwe and soon enough, well, as of this week, in rural Cambodia. Well, they're in Phnom Penh now, but they'll be in rural Cambodia before you know it. Uh, These populations are not doing it easy. We also have people in our church who periodically hit significant cash flow issues and not the kind of cash flow issues where you go to the bank and get a bridging line, the kind that just mean 
you don't eat much that week or you don't register your car. And if we would not only open wide our hands but open our eyes, we'd, we'd see that. Uh, you also know people in need around you. I know you do because I know them and I'm as kind of perfectly safe, secure, middle class as most of you. So if I know them, can't imagine you don't. And the question of generosity then becomes very urgent and very real and very practical and very common and everyday for us, doesn't it? For each of us, for our friends, for our church, for the friends of our church, we must ask the question, can we afford to be generous? And the answer must be yes. And we have an example here in 2 Corinthians. At the beginning of those chapters, the Corinthians were told to look at the Macedonians. Why? Because they, verse 2, gave what they were able and be even beyond their ability. How did they do that? Well, Paul's telling the Corinthians to look at the Macedonians because the Macedonians look more like God. That is, they understand God's grace. They understand that even though they just gave out of their need, God will provide. That's what chapter 9 is telling us. That if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. God is able to provide for us in this beautiful way. In the last couple of years, our church has done the same. It's given out of, well, you know, like a slightly dodgy budget position. And let me tell you the kind of things that have been able to happen. There have been unadoptable orphans in another country settled into loving families. You may not realise this. We've enabled regular comfort to a variety of Middle Eastern refugees in Austria. You may not realise this. Uh, just in the last month, um, someone here enabled, they don't even realise it, the son of a student minister, student ministry worker in Zimbabwe to go back to school who'd been expelled for lack of fee payment. Um, this is just the ordinary stuff that goes on in our church. This isn't coming out of like the treasurer or the parish council. This is coming out of what you do. This is the informal economy of St John's. Every week from last week till this week, till the end of last year of this week, 160 to 200 school students in our community will hear about Jesus. I see those kids now, who I taught 10 years ago, behind cash registers at Greener Grocer saying, Hi, Jim. And um, I know they heard about Jesus. And I get another shot now. And we do that every year with about 160 to 200 kids. And there are 40 kids between two services down there who know they have a bigger family to lean on. And you know what? I have a family and it's pretty big, but they, my kids need a bigger family than us. And you're it. And 30 teenagers on a Friday night have someone to remind them that they don't have to live just by their wits and Instagram reputations, but by the love of God. And 210 adults have brothers and sisters to lean on when they get blown about by life. I know this is all of inestimable value, isn't it? Can we afford to be generous? Oh my goodness, that's not generous, that's just necessary. There's a better question to finish. And it's not, will God provide? The answer is yes. And it's not, can we afford to be generous? The answer is yes. The better question is, in light of the fact that Israel were told to stop sowing and to kind of forgive debts and be wonderfully generous that they might be like God so that the world would see God, 
and the fact that we're called to image God too, the better question for us is not will God provide? Yes. Can we afford to be generous? Yes. But can we afford not to be generous in a world that is so poor for vision of God? Jehovah Jireh, our provider. The Lord provides. He is a provident God. Let's open wide our hands and trust him. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, we're striking at the heart of some of our idols here and um, you know, we immediately kind of cling on to them even as you pull them away. I know this is true in my life, in my finances, in the decisions I make. I assume it's true for many of us here, Father. But we really want deliverance from false securities. Uh, we want the wisdom that helps us live in a crazy world, but we do not want the false security, the kind of cheap comfort of wealth. Uh, we pray that what we have we might recognise as yours, richly provided by you and richly provisioned for others. Teach us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.